So I confess, yesterday morning, I began to doubt. I had written this sermon two weeks ago, and yesterday morning, after an elders meeting, I began to wonder if I had misheard the Lord. And uh, I went home, and I went out back, and I I sketched out a, a new sermon. And I thought, all right, we got... We got something on standby. See, we just finished this whole series this summer where we were talking about cures for the common soul. And there were some things in God's word that uh, I wanted to bring out, but there was no time. And so today I wanted to wrap that up and kind of bridge into uh, what's coming up next week as we get back into the book of Colossians. But I was doubting if this is what we, we needed to do. And, and then the Lord confirmed it. And he confirmed it in the the most convicting of, of ways for me personally. I don't know how you responded to the shootings of El Paso yesterday, but I was very disappointed with myself. I realized how jaded I am. Because as soon as I found out about it, I wasn't shocked. This morning when I, when I heard about Dayton, Ohio, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't shocked or surprised. I remember the Columbine shootings. How many of you guys remember the Columbine shootings? A lot of you. I was shocked that day. I realized the apathy that has set into my soul. I didn't cry. I haven't cried about Dayton or El Paso. Back in 97, I believe it was. And then I became frustrated because the last place I needed to go was to Twitter. And I, I started seeing, is anyone saying anything sensible? It's the wrong place to go for sensible things. All the cultural leaders that I read, government, politicians, entertainment, education, all were speaking to fixing the symptoms. The symptoms. And, and, and I was frustrated, and it just dawned on me, well, duh, all that government and all, all that human institutions can do is deal with symptoms. We have the Word of God. And the Word of God speaks to the core issue of humanity. And the core issue of humanity is that we are born with a sin nature separated from holy God. And so long as that is our circumstance, we will continue to kill and hate and envy and cause pain and suffering in this world. See, the the symptoms can be somewhat treated with behavioral modification, but only the great physician can cure what's really at the core of the problem. I want to assure you that what happens in our counseling center and our pregnancy center, we are not We're not simply dealing with symptoms. We're getting to the core of the issue, which is the soul of humanity. And I'm afraid our culture has forgotten who God is. And because we don't know who God is, we don't know who we are. And because we don't know who we are, our our culture at large is acting as animals. What happens when you forget who God is? You have to fall into a new world system that basically says you're in a cosmic accident or an animal of some sort. 
But we who are the disciples of Jesus Christ, we have been given the word of God. I want you to think about this morning what you, as, a, as, a, as an American in particular, as a person sitting here right now, those of you who hear my voice right now, think about what you have access to. Think about how many Bibles that you have access to. Think about how many Christian radio stations you have access to how many podcasts, how many online sermons that you can find. You know, you've got more than that you could consume in a single lifetime. We have that. And you know what that makes us? Responsible. We are now responsible for what we know. And we're going to be held accountable for it, friends. So our prayer this week, if you will, look in your bulletin. Look at our prayer for revival this week. By the way, the reason why we're praying for a revival is we're praying we're praying that out of a revival will come an awakening because the real cure for our culture is Jesus Christ alone. And so we're praying this week for revival, and here's what we're being called to pray. Call on God to convict believers that they must give an account of their lives at the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. We are praying that God is going to remind us and reveal to us again that we must give an account to him. We are stewards in a world that is not as it should be and that seems to be getting worse. At least it seems to be getting worse here in America. Understand that every problem of every single person on this planet stems from not knowing who God is or forgetting who he is at any given moment. A wrong, a wrong understanding of God leads to feelings that are not right. And when you're thinking wrong, and you're feeling wrong, you're gonna do what's wrong. We as human beings need a right understanding. And things are bad in the USA right now and, and things are getting a lot worse because we don't know who God is. You know, right now there's so little regard for human life and I don't just mean the, the unborn and the aged and, and, and those who are disabled. I mean, if you don't speak English, if you're not the right color, if you, if you hold the wrong political view, you know, you, you're less than an animal. In our culture right now, there's so much disrespect for other people. Friends, we are, we are all human beings made in the image of God. Can I give you just two quick words to, to know the definition of this? Let's start a dictionary revival, all right? There is a difference between tolerance and acceptance. Tolerance is when we say, hey, I think I'm right, I think you're wrong. Tolerate me and I'm gonna tolerate you. Acceptance is when we say, hey, you're right. We're, we're, I'm accepting what you're saying. We must, as followers of Jesus Christ, as human beings, we must tolerate each other. That means that we will not agree. And in that disagreement, we don't try to kill each other. We just say we don't agree. Now, what our culture is saying is, you better accept what we say or we are going to hurt you. We'll fire you. We will pursue you. We will take you out. That's what's wrong with our country. There is, it's either acceptance or you're down. We're coming after you. There, there's no respect for tolerance, and there's so little concern for the greater good of society because most people are tuned in to WIIFM. Y'all know this station, WIIFM? Most people are tuned in to hit 
If you're not tuned into it, don't go looking for it. It's what's in it for me. That's what most of our culture is being taught and being told to do. Look for what's in it for you. And and everybody else, well, they're just in the way. Americans are becoming more and more angry and mean and self-absorbed. Why is that? America's got a number of problems. Let me point out three that, um, that, that I've spent some time thinking on. One of our problems is ambition has replaced aspiration. Aspiration's a good thing. Aspiration is reaching beyond our grasp to gain a greater good, and it always produces gratitude. We are called in Scripture to continue to reach for Jesus Christ. Will we ever attain to the fullness of the glory of Christ in this broken world? Continue to reach, and it will be just out of our grasp. We are to aspire to be like Jesus Christ. Ambition is completely different. Ambition is a selfish pursuit that leads to gain personal power, pleasure, popularity, and possessions, and it always produces selfishness. We are constantly warned in Scripture to avoid being self-consumed, and instead we are commanded to trust Christ. Second problem. Pride has become a virtue rather than a sin. Pride is, is, is becoming a virtue in the minds of many rather than what it really is, is a sin. How many of you guys have ever heard of the story, the fable of Faust, F-A-U-S-T? Very few. I'm going to put a, this, ring, anybody ring a bell? This used to be one of the most well-known fables told in Western culture. You mentioned Faust, most people would go, ah, not anymore, because the system has changed. See, Faust is the fable that teaches us to accept our creatureliness. See, Faust, the story goes that he was frustrated with the fact that he was a creature and that everything he did was ultimately, ultimately in service to another. See, we human beings have been made by God to delight in serving him. But when we don't delight in that, We think we can serve ourselves, but what we ultimately discover is that we're still in service to something greater than ourselves, and it's either light or darkness. Well, Faust thought he could outfox him, that he could could outdo his creatureliness. So the story goes, he made a deal with the devil. For 20 years, he was given power beyond normal human capacity, but in exchange, his soul. And so what we were to learn, what, what it, it taught was that power will destroy you. The illusion of control is an illusion. That we are creatures and we are meant to submit to the Almighty. But rather than serve God, we are being taught by government, by, by entertainment industry, even education, that pride is a good thing. We are being taught in word and in deed that we are to improve our situation no matter the cost. Lie, steal, cause harm to other people, that's okay. But get what you want. Those people don't matter because they're those people. We are being taught in word and deed to get ahead professionally regardless of what it costs you relationally. Forget marriage, forget family, forget kids. It's all about you. Forget that. That doesn't matter. Get 
career-minded, get stuff, and then you, no one can touch you. Then you've got it. It's a lie. That's what we're being told. Improve our situation. Get ahead regardless of, of, of what it costs us and take care of yourself first and use other people to get what you want. It's what we're taught. And all of that comes out of pride, selfishness, the very worst things, the very worst things they are becoming and being taught as virtues. And that's part of the problem, third problem. Christianity is intolerable and morality indistinguishable. Christianity is becoming intolerable to our culture. Religions, fine. So long as they yield to the sexual revolution. Morality is indistinguishable anymore. It's hard to even know what people are thinking is right anymore. I discovered this week, I did not know this, but the new president of, um, it's a new president, uh, she'd been um, in, that, in that office at um, Planned Parenthood for six to nine months, I believe, was fired this summer. I was not aware of that. Uh, I listened to the briefing uh, by Dr. Al Mohler, which is so helpful to me. Careful, it'll, it'll make you sad, but it's good for information. And he made us aware that this president had been fired. The reason, this blows my mind. This woman was completely comfortable with killing a baby. But that wasn't enough. See, she kept saying that Planned Parenthood is all about women's health. And they said, no, you can't say women's health. You just say health. Because there might be a woman who says he's a man, and now it's his health, even though he's pregnant. That's why she was fired. She refused to speak in binary terms of man and woman. Kill a baby? Good, not enough. No, no, no. What they're saying now is we must speak in something that doesn't exist. We must use they singular. No he, no she, they singular. Don't speak in binary terms. Morality is completely indistinguishable. Christianity is a violation of other people's rights. Friends, can I tell you, God's way is better. God's way is so much better. When we know who God is, we love him. And when we love God and listen to him, we understand who we are, what we're meant to do, and this right view gives us a dignified view of humanity, and it changes society. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, turn with me to Psalm chapter 8. Clay's going to come and read it. Let's all stand together. We're in Psalm chapter 8, and uh, we're going to read the whole thing. Come on up, Clay. Psalm 8, right in the middle of your Bible. Got it? Go for it. O oh Lord, O oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens, out of the mouth of babies and infants. You have established strength because of your foes, to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? and the son of man that you care for him. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. 
You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen? Amen. Thank you, brother. If you guys would, go ahead and be seated. If we want to understand ourselves, what it means to be a human being, we have to begin with good theology. Theology, interesting. Theology is the study of God, and that used to be enough, not anymore. That definition is, is no longer enough. We have to actually have to say, theology is the study of the God of the Bible. You have to have that prepositional phrase because there are so many who have created God in their own image. So theology, good theology, it's the study of God according to his word. We understand who God is based on his word, that is the Bible. And the Bible says that, the re, that reality begins with God. Genesis 1.1, the very first words of the Bible. In the beginning, God. He was before all things, and by him all things are made and sustained. We understand reality. It begins with God, the Bible says that humanity begins with God. Again, in Genesis, we read, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We understand reality and humanity according to what the Bible says. To know God, we have to see him and understand through special, specific revelation. That is the Bible. But you know, we can also, we can know God, something of him, through general revelation, that is creation, through the the cosmos, nature, animals, even the creation of humanity. See, the cosmos, nature, and animals, they they tell us something of the power of God. Romans 1 tells us this creation, tells us of the power of God. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived. How? Ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so they are without excuse. We understand God, something of God through his creation. But we know God as a person through humanity. While the cosmos tells us something of the power of God, humanity tells us something of the person of God. Genesis chapter five, verse one. This is the book of the generations of Adam when God created man. He made him in the likeness of God. We are made like God. We have creativity, personality, rationality, will. We ask crazy questions that no other creature on the planet asks. Who am I? What went wrong? Who can fix it? What is my hope? We are the only creatures that ask that question because we've been made in the image of God to know God, to know God personally. And once we have good theology, well, that's the difference. See, and write it down, take note as we look at Psalm 8. Good theology points to the glory of God, to the glory of God. Look in verses one and nine. It's a repetition. It's a repetition not only of the verses, but of a four-letter word. Notice those two four-letter words. Lord, one is in all caps, and the other one is only a single cap, L, Y. 
Well, whenever you see the word Lord in all caps, that's where the, the translators are attempting to tell us that that is God's covenant name, the name Yahweh. This is the name of God that only those who know believe. And, and that name was so holy and so sacred that the Hebrews would not even pronounce it when they would read scripture. They would nod as an acknowledgement of this name is too sacred to even say. And so, oh, our Lord, that second one, Lord, is Adonai. He is the reigning sovereign over the law. He is, he is Lord over all time and space and creatures. He is Lord over all lives and all purposes. And notice what he is. He is majestic, I dare. Large, mighty, glorious is your name in all the earth. The name of God refers to the revealed person of God, encompassing all of his attributes. He is the ultimate leader. He is the mighty God. He is the glorious one. And notice what he has done. You have set your glory above the heavens. He is beyond our full comprehension. We think we're so smart. Friends, understand, when we read the word of God and we examine the creation that he has made, God is speaking to us as babies. He is so beyond us in his infinitude. We are finite creatures. I want you to remember this. When you read God's word, this is God saying to you, He's, he's, he's talking to, how do you talk? Who's a big boy? Who's a big boy? Who made us stinky? We can change. That's God. We think we're so smart. God is so beyond us. He speaks to us in grace that he's talking to us like babies. And so when you look at verse one, what you see there is what theologians call the transcendence of God. And what we see in verse two is his eminence, his nearness. He has reached down. He whose glory is above the heavens speaks to those who are beneath the heavens. One of the ways God reveals his glory is to us and then through us. Through us, weak, vulnerable creatures. He uses, look at that, verse two, infants, babies. Never wonder why the devil hates babies so much? Because it is through this baby who was born in Bethlehem that the enemies and the avengers were defeated. This is the power of our God. This is who God is. And good theology points to him. It also points to the dignity of humanity. And we see that in verses three through eight. Look in verse three real quick and read that to yourself quietly just a second. Read verse three. Think about what we're talking about here. If our galaxy, the Milky Way, was the size of North America, then our entire solar system would be the size of a coffee cup. The earth would just be barely visible as a kind of speck in the coffee cup, and you and I would be mere molecules within that speck. I mean, think about it, all right? Here's our address, the Milky Way. Here's where you and I are. Imagine if this was North America, it's a coffee cup. And within that cup, you and I are as a molecule swimming around it. That's the greatness of our God. By the way, there are untold numbers of galaxies. And yet our God cares about us. I read often the um, stories of, of pastors and, and their, their interactions. There was a young man who came to a pastor several years ago and said, why did God go to all the trouble of making this vast universe if all we needed was the earth? And the pastor said, it was no trouble. He just spoke it. 
He said, well, why do we need it? And he said, see, that's the problem. It's not about you. It's not about us. It's about him. He is glorious. And yet he chooses to speak to us. Look at that verse four. He cares. What is man that you're mindful of? The son of man that you care? He knows you. He cares about you. You know, every morning I pray for my children and I think I love them. My love is like hate compared to the love that God the Father has for them. His love for you is beyond anything you can know. Imagine it's greater. And we're told in verse five, he knows that, that we are weaker than the angels and the demons, and yet he has given us dignity and glory and honor. Remember what C.S. Lewis said in that great sermon, The Weight of Glory? There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, those are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit, immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. This does not mean that we are to be perpetually solemn. No, we must play. But our merriment must be of that kind, and it is, in fact, the merriest kind, which exists between people who have, from the outset, taken each other seriously. No flippancy, no superiority, no presumption. Look around you, real quick, just real quick, look around you. Every one of these people in this room with you will exist forever. We are immortals, made in the image of God. There is not an unimportant human being on this planet. Every life matters to God and he has chosen to share his dominion with us, verses six through eight. But our world, our nation is filled with hate, disrespect, violence, and anger. And bad news, friends, we can't fix it. But God can. We can address symptoms with government and therapy. We can't fix it. God can. Write it down and know it. The glory of God and human dignity are found in the gospel. We know this world is not as it should be. We know that. We know deep inside that there is a design that we were right for. But here's what we know. We ruined it because of our sin and now we live in a world of brokenness. And as broken people, we can't fix what we've broke. We need the maker to remake us. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. That's the gospel. He doesn't make us a better version of our broken self. He makes us new. And in the newness of his grace, we are responsible, friends. You and I are stewards of the gospel of the good news of God. And we are responsible to be salt and light. Now, how do we do that effectively? Let me, let me get you to look at one more thing. Because there's, it's, it's, one size does not fit all. Even as I was coming in this morning to prepare to, to, to feed you word, the word, I was thinking, Lord, everyone's at a different spot. And then I remembered this conclusion. I was like, oh, that's right. You took care of that. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 14 and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Friends, I realize some of you this morning, you need to be admonished. You need to be challenged. 
You are wasting God's time, God's money, and your life, and you need to stop. You are wrapped up in politics and junk that will not fix what's broken in our world. Jesus Christ can heal what's broken, period. Doesn't mean we don't avoid the symptoms. Doesn't mean we don't, we don't pray and vote towards the, the helping of solving some of the symptoms. But only Jesus Christ can heal what's broken. And those of you with resources and strength and, and influence and, and have the, the wherewithal to do it, do it. Stop sitting around. Some of you, you're faint-hearted. You're like where Baird was this week. You got no joy. You're tired. Remember, he quoted to you Isaiah. The other one he quoted to you, he didn't give you the citation for. Nehemiah 8.10. Nehemiah 8.10, for the joy of the Lord is my strength. Are you faint-hearted today? The joy of the Lord is your strength. The reason why you don't have strength is because you're putting joy in something that can't sustain your soul. And when you put your joy and you invest and you're planning on a created thing, giving you strength, it will fail you every time. Only the Lord can give you the joy you need. And I know some of you are just weak. You're weak, you're thirsty. I'm giving you a steak and you're thinking, I can't eat this. I'm so thirsty, I just need a drink. I am so dry. I, I was so thrilled this morning to discover that the, the reading plan I use this morning flipped back from the end of Mark to go back to Psalm. I forgot we're going back through Psalms again. I'm so thankful for Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked or stands in the way of sinners or sits in the seat of, of, of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Listen to this. He is like a tree planted by streams of water. You thirsty this morning? If you are in Jesus Christ, then you have living water to drink from. Stop drinking the poison of our culture. Stop trying to drink from your own cistern. Jeremiah calls them broken, dirty cisterns that cannot satisfy your thirst. It's in Christ alone. Some of you today, you need to come and you need to pray. I invite all of our leaders to come and pray for revival. Let's stand together as we pray. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. God, you are good. And you understand every person and situation and circumstance in this room right now. And you are the answer. You're the answer not only for our life, but for our world and for our nation. Lord, you have made us responsible. We are stewards of what we know. And we have been given so much. Oh, Lord, give us the, give us the faith and the courage and the belief to speak in the name of Jesus, to pray in the name of Jesus, to hope in the name of Jesus, and to tell others about the goodness of Jesus. We come to you, Lord, because you're good. Come and pray as the Lord calls you to.